0: Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. And as you're turning there, first let me say to our guests, we are glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here, and we hope you will stick around at the services. Let us get to know you, and you get to know us just a bit better. Many of you have been asking about uh, Kim, how she's doing, and uh, day by day she is uh, getting better, and so we are, are praising God for that, and uh, we invite you to continue to pray uh, for her speedy recovery uh, after uh, her fall and surgery. <clears throat> we begin a new sermon series today that I am calling Blessed Assurance, or Blessed Assurance, as they used to say back in the day. It is, this is going to be a study through the epistle of 1 John. This is a book of assurance. It's intended to provide us with the assurance of our salvation, the assurance that we have life with the Father in the here and now, which anticipates a full future and final realization of that life in the there and the then. To begin with, we read the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. Hear now the word of the true and living God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let us pray. Father, help us this morning we your children look to you and we pray that through your word you would enlighten us as to how we ought to live we thank you for the life that we enjoy with you through Christ by the spirit and we pray this through Christ our lord amen the climate culturally speaking, into which John wrote his gospel, his epistles, the revelation, in some ways was different than ours, but in many ways was quite similar. There were a number of isms in John's day that the gospel had to confront and respond to. I have a list here of about 10 or 12 different isms that were present in John's day. But I just want to mention a few that I believe the tentacles of these various isms reach all the way down to us today. Various uh, philosophical and theological schools of thought that manifest a little differently today, but I do think are present. For example, in John's day, he had to confront syncretism. Syncretism was the idea that you just mixed everything together and you could take a bit of this philosophy and a bit of this religion, mix them together, and uh, out popped something good or beneficial. When it came to Christianity, what would happen is sometimes folks would mix in different aspects of other religious systems or philosophical systems. And they would try to sync up Christianity with these other ideas and, and thoughts, hence syncretism, sync. right? Like back in the old TV show, let's synchronize our watches, right? Let's try and make all these things. And that hasn't gone away. There are still efforts at pluralism, efforts to, to seek to make everything kind of just uh, blend into one, Uh, Back in the day, not too long ago, they used to talk about how all roads lead to God. We're all traveling up the same mountain. We may take different roads, but at the top of the mountain is God, and we're all just getting there through our own different path. And we can even mix and match some of these paths, and Christianity is just one of a number of paths, and syncretism hasn't gone away. It just sounds a little different today. John wrote to answer that. And the answer still remains for us even today. The big one that was really on the rise and would hit a high point during the second century AD was Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, Gnostics, they got their name from the Greek term for knowledge, Gnosis. Gnosis. And the idea of Gnosticism, it, and it's tough to nail it down. It's kind of like nailing Jello to a wall with Gnosticism because there were so many different brands of it. You want you want to read someone who really knew Gnosticism inside and out and answered it according to the Christian faith. Uh, get your hands on a copy of Irenaeus, one of the early church writers. He wrote in the second century when Gnosticism was kind of at its height, and he knew the different brands and the different flavors of Gnosticism, and he details them in particular meticulous detail what each different brand and each different flavor of Gnosticism had, and then he took each of them to task and answered them according to the Christian faith. It was apologetics, which is what we are called to do is defend the faith. You could boil Gnosticism down, it was the idea. You usually had a, a main figure in the particular sect or group of the, the Gnostic cult, and he may be charismatic, but uh, he he certainly had claim to having had some kind of experience, an ethereal experience where one of the divine beings, the aeons, uh, they came near and enlightened this leader, and he had this special knowledge because of that ethereal experience that he had had with this particular being. Now, if you want his knowledge, all you got to do is... Come to him, and maybe for a nominal fee, he'll enlighten you. And you read some of the stuff that some of these guys were doing to their followers. It was pure debauchery at its heart. That's where a lot of this stuff devolves, by the way, is into gross immorality and uh, perversion and things like that. But that was Gnosticism. I have this claim. I've had this experience, so I have this knowledge, and you have to come to me. Ooh, Ooh, that, that hadn't gone away, has it? And you know, in, in someone has coined the phrase ethnic Gnosticism, where if, if because of a, a, your skin tone, because I have more uh, melanin in my skin than some of my brothers and sisters, because of my experience, I have this knowledge, and the rest of you just need to uh, sit down, shut up, and listen to me. Now, that's what you get a lot of the times with this ethnic Gnosticism. Hmm. No, this hasn't gone away and the gospel has an answer to that as well. Here's a big one. It's antinomianism. (laughs) Anti, you recognize, if you're anti-something, you're opposed to it. Antinomianism. Nomos is your Greek term for law. So these were people who were anti-law. They were opposed to the law. These were the folks that came on the scene and said, Ollie, Ollie, income free you just got to be who you are and do what you do and i'm just i'm I'm gonna be me and you be you and and they were opposed even to the law of god now some of this had religious roots and it, it reached all the way back to the garden of eden and you know god in the garden of eden uh he gave a law to adam and eve and it was a bad thing because god wanted humans to stay dumb to not experience certain things, well, guess who the hero turns out to be in that story? The devil, because he wants to enlighten. He wants you to go. And, did God really say, "No, in the day that you eat of it, you will not die. You'll you'll be like God"? And they were opposed to the law of God. They said law is a bad thing. You just gotta do what you feel. And and uh, and you know that hasn't gone away much either, has it? There are still calls to you. Just you do you, right? You just got to be yourself, you know. And what God says in His Word? Well, this this old dusty document, you know. You yeah, you're not going to really listen, and pay much attention to this kind of stuff, are you? I mean, and it's so outdated. And no, we, we and we know better. Actually, what it really means is, did God really say? Mm, no this this would be this would be. Uh, the uh, form of religion that is, uh, again, opposed to the law of God, and, and it's, it's the, the, the theological liberalism. Uh, it is uh, open to all things. On the other side of the spectrum would be what was called asceticism. And asceticism, the best way uh, we can kind of picture this is uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where you had those monks that were walking around, um, and they'd hit themselves in the head with a board, right? I mean, that's that's uh, kind of making fun of it. But there are those even today who want to whip themselves and beat themselves into submission, and and they'll they'll have uh, they'll have uh, maybe a uh, 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 strip around their leg with thorns in, it and they'll tighten that, or they'll put nails in their shoes, or or they'll imitate like uh, the stigmata and and uh, crawl on their hands and knees in order to try and placate the gods. And, and that was what asceticism was about. That was the legalism uh, in their day. Uh, very strict, very stoic, um, and again, these things, they, they sound different. They may look a little different today, but they're still with us today. And the gospel still provides the defense and the answer to these things. And that's what John is writing to these Christians about. There are a number of statements where you have John, the purpose as to why he's writing. Uh, You especially get into chapter 2 and he says, I write to you young men, I write to you old men, I write to you uh, children and all this. But there's one in particular at the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life." Can you know that you have eternal life? John says, you absolutely can. You can know that you have eternal life. That's why John is writing. is He wants us to have life. What kind of life? Well, as we come to the text here, it's, a, it's an interesting way that John begins this epistle. He begins with a a pronoun. <laughs> that. Not a who but a that that which was from the beginning, what is that what is John talking about here and, and what is that which was from the beginning there's a there are many who read this and think well he's talking about Jesus, but Jesus is a who, and he is he is the one who is not from but in the beginning remember that how John opens his gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word was in the beginning but this is that which was from the beginning from shall we say the garden of eden what was there prior to the fall that was in the garden of eden i believe you keep reading here and john provides the answer it is concerning the word of life the life was made manifest your translation in verse 2 may say the life appeared and the appearance that John has in mind here is the incarnation where Christ is the embodiment of this life even eternal life you go back to again John's gospel and it's you have to read the epistle in concert with the gospel to get the full effect here But you keep reading in those opening verses, we quoted verse 1, verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. There it is. He was in the beginning with God. It's talking about the Word, talking about Christ, Jesus. Verse 3, all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Notice, in Him was, ready, life. That is, in the Word, in Christ, in Jesus, was life. Jesus is the embodiment of life. What is it he says? You get later on into John's gospel. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which, by the way, that answers that whole many roads leading up the mountain to God. Jesus says uh, all those other passes, uh, all they're going to lead to is you falling off the mountain. He's the only path, the only way. To the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Well, gee, that's awful narrow. Actually, it's very inclusive. You just come to Jesus. And anyone who comes to Jesus will find the Father. This life is life with the Father. Notice uh, the the rest of verse 2. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was... With the Father, that is identical uh, almost in construction, almost the exact same terminology is used from John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. It's the Same terminology, just different God, the Father is in place of God. And so the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and now you have this life which was with the Father, but then it was manifest, it appeared. And John says, you come back to verse 1 here, he says, we have heard, and and the force of this in the original language, it's what's called a, a perfect tense verb. It's past completed action with present continuing results. It's the same thing for we have seen with our eyes. Past completed action, present continuing results. And what that means, John is essentially saying, look, we heard, and it's as if I can still hear his voice. Ringing in my ears. And we, we saw, we have seen with our eyes, and it's as if I can still see it. It has this continuing effect upon me, John is saying. There's something about this life that has this continuing effect in the life of John. It's a little different, the, the last two verbs here, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched. Uh, because these are, uh, it's called an aorist tense, it's a snapshot event in the past, kind of like a Polaroid, right? Remember the old Polaroid and it would, out would come, come the, the picture that you just took, right? That snapshot. We looked upon, but the, the looking had to do with beholding. It had to do with gazing, looking upon something, for a long time with confidence, paying careful, close attention to it. And then also, we, we've touched with our hands, and we touched it, but we, we don't touch it now because the embodiment of that life, of course, went back to the Father's right hand. This is looking at the historical nature of Christ, that He really did come, and He really did appear, and He brought with Him eternal life. And indeed, this word of life, this eternal life, which was with the Father, it was made manifest to us. Who is the we? Who is the us? I'm persuaded it's the apostolic college. It's the apostles, those 12 in particular, who lived with Jesus and walked with Him down the streets of Galilee and ate meals with Jesus. And day in and day out for three years, a little more maybe, they, they were with Him. And they did. They heard and they saw and they beheld and they touched And it's had this effect on them, and and it's to such an extent that he says, we have fellowship with God, and we want you to have that fellowship. And the fellowship here, the idea of fellowship is the sharing of common objects. And it can also be translated as, ready, communion. We have communion, we commune with God. And I want you to see here the Trinitarian nature of this fellowship, this communion. Because he says here at the end of verse 3, he says, Our fellowship, our communion is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What about the Holy Spirit? He's there too. How do you know? The end of 2 Corinthians, the very last verse of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 14, talks about grace of christ love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit ah father son holy spirit you mean we commune with our with the entire triune god oh yes oh yes and it's a sweet sweet fellowship john has a couple of purposes in writing that are stated here first is you know we that, uh, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that, here's purpose, you too may have fellowship with us, that is with the apostles. But notice, if you're in fellowship with us, we're in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And guess what that means for you? You get what we have. That is, we have fellowship with the triune God as well. That's why he's writing, is so that we today can have and enjoy and share in this Trinitarian fellowship with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And, verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy, what kind of joy? Well, it's the, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, etc., right? Joy. Joy that comes from God, joy that doesn't come from the world, can't give it to you. Only God can give you this joy through His Spirit. What kind of joy are we talking about? How about the joy of salvation? You know, we're going to keep reading here next week, and we'll see that we have the continual cleansing of all of our sins by the blood of Christ. How about the joy of salvation? Ah, yes. The joy of our salvation. Yeah. John wants us to have a, a complete, a, a full joy. How about the joy of knowing that you are in fellowship and communing with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Beautiful thing. This is the prologue. This is John setting the table and saying, all right, get ready because we're about to eat. And it is a delicious meal. As I think about what John is saying here concerning this eternal life, but especially... Life with the Father, that's the idea of fellowship, of communion. How we share life with the Trinity, the triune God. You know that recently calamity has visited the Perez household. Uh, My wife fell, fractured her skull, and ended up requiring surgery for that. She's on the mend. I, again, appreciate all of your prayers. Continue to pray for Kim. She's doing better day by day. She needed surgery. The, the accident happened on Monday. By Wednesday, it, she needed the surgery. Uh, she had a epidural, epidural hematoma, and they had to remove that. They also repaired uh, an artery that was damaged. And, you know... <laughs> You have these neurosurgery. We're at Stanford, right? And no better place on the planet to be if you need brain surgery. I mean, it's not rocket science, but anyway. It is brain surgery. That, By the way, there's my twisted sense of humor for you, right? Anyway. <clears throat> Kim needed... The surgery, and she was, she was nervous about it, and uh, to be expected, it's, it is brain surgery, and I assured her, I said, you know, baby girl, you got half the world praying for you right now, literally people all across the country, around the world, were praying for her, um, I said, everybody loves you, Kim, I'm the socially awkward one, but uh, uh, funny because it's true, right? <laughs> one thing she said, you know, I mean, you're facing brain surgery, and surgery is never routine, certainly not brain surgery, and so you're faced even per- perhaps with your own mortality in that moment, and Kim was sharing with me, she said, you know, I, I used to think about, you know, when you when you die and you go to heaven, she says, um, I always thought about, you know, you're going to meet Jesus, and she says, I, I, that's still true, she said, but hanging around you, talking about me, and and all the uh, the, the, the times that I talk about uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. She says, now I envision it as going and seeing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I said, that's, that's right, baby girl. That's it. Because we will see our Father face to face. And we will meet our Savior face to face. And we will be with the Holy Helper who's helped us throughout our life so she goes into surgery, and I've got a couple of hours, right? I hadn't eaten, so I went, I grabbed some lunch, stopped at Starbucks, right? And I'm sitting there with my Starbucks, and it just so happened, I didn't do it on purpose, but I, I picked, they had a couple tables that had four chairs around it, and I'm sitting there, I'm the only one at the table, and I start looking around, I start thinking, wait a minute, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? And it it, I was like, and I, you know, you're praying the whole time, and then it, it dawns on me. It's like, you know, during the broadcasts, when I do it on Monday night, one of the things I do is I say, I invite you now to invite the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right, to come and to sit with you. And it was, they're so real to me that I'm sitting there, and, and I've, I'm, I've been praying for Kim and all that, but now it's just, you know, I just want to sit with you, Father and Jesus. I just want to sit with you holy spirit let's just sit you know those of you who've been married for any amount of time you know you get to a point in the relationship where um, you don't have to say anything you just sit and you enjoy the company and the presence of your spouse right and that's that's what it's like as you walk with the lord and and i just want to sit and and be with you father Son, Holy Spirit, right? And then I also think about what we do here. In just a few minutes, we're going to be led to the table. And it is the table of the Lord, absolutely. And it is through the Lord Jesus Christ, though, that we also commune with your Father and my Father. That we commune with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is who is indwelling the church, all of us together, individually, yes, corporately, absolutely. The Holy Spirit here with us and we come to the Lord's table and we commune with Jesus and also with our Father. And I know we we think about, you know what? how we've fallen short and we thank God for the forgiveness of our sins, but some, sometimes it's just good just to sit and just to commune spiritually. No words, right? But just, just to sit with the Father and the Son. And, and again, it, God, he's so, He is so real that He's right there with you. Three persons, one being. Not three gods, don't get it twisted. We're not polytheists, we're monotheists. We believe in one God, but three persons existing in one being. And so when I read John here about our fellowship is with, the, with our Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is, this is Trinitarian communion, communion with the triune God, and just being in His presence. Again, don't don't misunderstand. Pray your intercessory prayers for your brothers and sisters. Pray those petitionary prayers for the things that you need. But then enter into that time where you you just sit and enjoy the presence of God. The Gnostic in John's day couldn't even come close to offering something like this. There was one guy in particular, his name was syrinthus there's a <laughs> there's a I don't know a legend you know one of the the uh legends that came down through the early church where John the apostle and another disciple are they're going into a local uh, bathhouse and uh, John goes in first, comes running out and says to the disciple. Let's get out of here. Cerinthus, the enemy of truth is in there and that building may collapse on itself any moment. Serinthus, he couldn't offer anything like this. None of the Gnostics, none of those who sought to mix in a bunch of stuff to Christianity. The antinomian couldn't get close to this. The ascetic couldn't get close to this. Only the gospel in its purity can offer what was heard and what was seen, and what was looked upon, and what the hands had touched. Absolutely nothing to offer, except the delusions and the imaginations of the fallen thinking of fallen humans. And it was true in John's day, it's true in our day. That what is needed is the, the, the full fellowship that we enjoy with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That that is what is needed for life and godliness for Christians. That that is what is needed for the purity of our worship together. It's what is needed when life is going well. It's what is needed especially in times of calamity. It's true in his day. It's true in our day. What we need is the purity of the deity of the Son, the efficacy of His blood, the pure doctrine of the holiness, the absolute holiness of God, the realization that in Him and in Him only is life. He's the living God. But we we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need the only way we can have life is. Life with Him is if we're in fellowship with Him through the Son by the blood of Christ. The realization that God is light, in Him there is no darkness, that awakens us to the reality that we are darkness, in us is no light. And it's all the more reason why we need to flee to the Father through Christ and by the Spirit. And so for the weeks ahead, We will continue to dig into this life, life with God, and the blessed assurance that we have this life with God through Christ. Let us pray. Holy Trinity, who who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally and forevermore. Father, we thank you. For what you have accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who died on the cross for our sins. Who shed his blood so that we might have the forgiveness of all of our sins. We thank you for what you are doing by your spirit in us. As you continue to purify us and set us apart more and more for life with you. May we live before you in a holy manner so that one day we may see you face to face, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and forever and to the ages of ages. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.